Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Miles Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Miller. Today, we have our, our guest, Paul Hamilton from North Carolina, who was originally from New Jersey, and he has his own podcast as well as me. So um, his podcast is called The Shooting Blanks Podcast. He talks a lot about his own story. I've listened to a couple of his episodes, and he is here to share and talk about his experience with infertility. So welcome, Paul. Hey, thank you for having me. Um, thanks for reaching out and um, allowing me to share my story and uh, go through with this community uh, regarding his journey and, and, and this process. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you, you have a good story. I mean, like I, like I said, I listened to it the other night and stuff and had some questions through there, So, um, which we'll get into. But the question I always ask in the beginning is, how did you learn about infertility in general and not necessarily through your own diagnosis, but infertility in general? Right. Um, so it was combination of things so uh when i first met my wife uh she was up front as we got started getting serious and like truly you know dating and truly um you know talking about the future and just in general and whatnot and she told me that she had been diagnosed with a uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome so pcos okay. um so after she had told me that you know i did some research and we talked through some of that and she basically was like yeah so there's a very likely likelihood that i'm going to have to do some type of um artificial um, you know, reproductive technology in terms of uh, trying to conceive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, all right, understandable. I, like, you know, after reading everything and understanding what it was, I was like, all right, that's perfectly fine. So like, that's where my initial infertility, I guess you can say introduction was. And okay. then that's kind of it. So, you know, it was always, and it's still this way where they kind of always talk about it from the woman's perspective. Yeah. Um, so then when we got married back in 2017 we waited a year and then we were like all right well let's just you know go talk to a clinic and whatnot because we know like we know she's gonna be mm-hmm. pcos so just kind of get a baseline and they were essentially was like all right well you know since you guys are married what we'll do is we'll have you also do a semen analysis make sure everything's fine there and we'll do you know we'll run tests on the list and everything and then we'll formulate a plan from there and then that's when I learned about male factor infertility when the doctor called me and told me that I had no sperm. I was going to ask if you had any idea that male infertility was a thing. None whatsoever. Absolutely yeah. not. Like no one's ever talked about it. I've never heard the term azospermia, anything of that nature up until that phone call that I had um, in November of 2018. So when you got that, that phone call, what was that like? I mean, what was that experience? Like, what was going on internally? So when the doctor called me, um, I was at work and she was like, is this a good time to talk? And I was like, yes, yeah, fine. I was like, all right. Um, and she was just like, do you take testosterone or like anything like that? And I was like, no, I've never taken that a day in my life. And she was like, okay. And I was like, well, why? Like, you know, I'm like, what do you, what's going on? And she was like, well, um, your semen analysis came back basically with no sperm and I was like no sperm like not even a low count like I've heard of people having low sperm counts mm-hmm. or whatever but I was like just zero like there's nothing there and she was like yeah there's no sperm there and she was like so what I wanted you to do though is I'll have you come in you know we'll take some um, you know do some lab work run some other tests and see things and have you repeat a semen analysis you know maybe just that sample was bad and whatnot and um, I was like okay 
And, um, you know, we hung up. I left the conference room and I was like, all right, I'm just going to go back to work. And I went back to my computer and started working. And I think I lasted like 35 minutes when I just went to my boss. I was like, I got to go. I was like, something just came up. Um, you know, I was like, I just got to go. Yeah. And um, I went home. Um, I had told Alyssa by that point as well. Like, I think I called her and let her know because um, we had literally we were down in North Carolina at this point, maybe two months. So we got down here in September of 2018. And then this is November of 2018. So she hadn't found a job yet or whatnot. And I went down and I went home and literally as I walked through the door, I literally just fell out and just started bawling. It was probably yeah. the toughest thing at that point that I've gone through. It was just, it was, it just like hit me so deep in my chest, like a, like a sucker punch, just right to the gut, like a, like a huge gut check. And I just, everything went blurry. And I just remember just hitting the ground and just feeling just like miserable because of it. Yeah. Especially when it comes as a shock. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's a, that's the thing though. You know, like, I mean, I know from my own experience, like I had, oh, I had low sperm counsel, oligospermia. Um, and even then, like, I had no idea this was the thing until like, they're like, oh, well, we're going to check you. I'm like, what? Like, maybe me, like, well, like, you know, like, and I just, I started, you know, my head's just, just you know, spinning and stuff and thinking, I'm like, I hope it's not me. You know, like, because, you know, because it, you don't want to be the barrier, right? I mean, like, you think, you right. know, even though, like, there's nothing you can do about it, nothing that you can change in the past, like, nothing. But, I mean, and it's such a huge shock for a lot of men, you know, to, like, all of a sudden now I have infertility. Like, it's it's hard to process when you've been oh, told yeah. your whole life. Like, you, you don't know any different. Yeah, absolutely. It was just one of those things where I was just, like, so this whole time it was me. Like, you know, you get told that and... And everything and then you just start replaying scenarios in your head um you know um just like overthinking things like or just getting in getting inside of your head your own head and just like is it from like maybe this happened when this happened or you know maybe i got in too 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 and too, too too many hot tubs or whatnot and just start like over analyzing everything and then like for me, after that came, it was just like, like I felt like such a hit to my manhood. Yeah, and I think a lot of I think a lot of men feel that, especially especially when you're yeah. trying to get pregnant and it winds up being quote unquote your fault, right? Um, because the whole process of pregnancy really carries on the on the woman. Like, let's be honest here, you know, yeah. she's the one that you know she's carrying the, the baby lives inside of her, you know, it's growing inside of her. You know, she's the one that has to carry the baby, the child for nine months, go through all the hormonal changes, the physical changes, right. the emotional changes and everything. And like, you know, you're just supposed to be just like you literally have one job per se, one yeah. job for this entire thing to happen. And like to get told like, yeah, you can't even do that. Like at all. Like it wasn't even like I had any sperm, like having no sperm was, I think, the biggest thing, because then it's like. At that point, like, what am I even good for? I remember in the beginning it was me saying that. And um, mm -hmm. thankfully, my wife talked me off the ledge, per se, and was just like, well, we're going to get through this together. This is an hour thing. Um, you know, we have infertility. We'll figure it out and go from there type of thing. But it took a long way for me to get to that point. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a lot easier said, you know, like, 
because I remember feeling the same way. You know, like if this, you know, like my wife was very good about like this is a couple's thing, like this is our issue, you know, like this is us, and, you know, and we and we both had issues. Like she had diminished the very reserve, you know, I had no sperm count. But it took me a long time, and probably was not even until after for me to realize that like our, our parts are equal. <laughs> you know, like and I think as men, like we we put more weight on our on our issue, you know, like and take ownership of something that's not ours, you know, but we beat, you know, like we beat ourselves up, right? I mean, like right. we, we do. I mean, at that point, we're just like, this is our fault. Or like, this is, you know, like this is, you know, and really, to be honest, you know, like those are really normal feelings to feel during that, oh, yeah. you know, like, and that, I mean, and that's what I mean, I think, and that's for like all the men out there listening is, you know, like if you have that diagnosis, you know, like that is completely valid and normal to feel like, hey, I, you know, this is my fault, even though it's not. Right. Yes, big time. Um, it's and that's probably what probably made me really go and get deeper into this community and look for like because like I'm scientific and I'm an engineer by by day trade, right? Okay. So, you know, all of my thing is like when you get like you get a problem, my first thing is all right. Well, let's find a solution. So you know, I did some research. You know, I looked at the things, and then every time that I would look up about infertility, it was focused on the lady. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, what about male infert- infertility? You know, you're, I'm reading through statistics about how, you know, all the couples that are going through having infertility problems, a good 40 to 45% of it is male factor involved, right? Or of mm-hmm. some sort. So I'm like, yeah. all right. So it's a high percentage of, you know, male cause like being the factor towards this infertility, but there's no resources and there's no type of community out there like that like you have to truly dig deep to find just anyone talking about it at all and it's such yeah. a taboo thing and that's what i think especially in our, and especially when you first find this diagnosis is i think the most challenging thing because i think a lot of men probably go and start looking to try to see about other men that are going through the same thing and experiencing the same thing and they don't find anything so then they're starting to think like like, is it truly like me? Like, like this is like just me type of thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why I think they think that there's something wrong with them or they take so much ownership of the issue is because they don't see so many people going through so many men going through the same thing that they're going through. Yeah. And I even think on a professional level, you know, I can say for at least Wisconsin, like there's maybe like four or five like therapists that specialize in it and it's all women. There is no men. You know, like there's very few men. I could probably count on one hand, maybe two of men that work in this field. And I think that in itself make would make a huge difference. How many men would go to a, a male therapist, you know, like, you know, talk man to man about issues such as infertility. Some women might too. I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to discount that either because some women prefer talking to men, you know, like but but you're right. I mean, I was doing the same thing. I was looking at that point where we're like, I mean, I'm in social work, so I'm really in tune with mental health. I'm like, I was trying to find that experience of mental health. Like what, what's normal? I, I didn't know what normal was. Right. You know, like there's nothing there. There was a lot of good scientific, you know, medical knowledge about like how, what causes infertility, things that you can do to help boost, you know, like in your sperm quality and health and all this, you know, like, I mean, which is all good knowledge to have. But when it came to that emotional experience of like, what is this like? Is this normal? Because like, like you said, you question that. Yeah. Right? You question whether or not like what what's normal? Like what is 
is this valid or not? You know, and you're right. Yeah. Like, it makes you feel more alone. Definitely. Um, and I think the biggest resource for me when I first was going through this was um, on the website Reddit. There's a um, male infertility. There was a male infertility like forum essentially. And I just okay. remember going there and reading, you know, so much there and, you know, it's obviously anonymous and everything, but just reading through there, you know, any of the questions that I had, you know, I you post kind of initially basically what you got diagnosed with and mm -hmm. whatnot. And then they, they kind of like guide you like, all right, well, make sure if you are going to go see a male urologist, make sure it's one that specializes in, in, in fertility. And then, you know, make sure you get a full um, blood, blood screen looking for the, mm -hmm. looking for these things and, and looking at these hormones and make sure, you know, no, no chromosome Y deletion and no karyotype and all the, you know, all the things that yeah. we, we, we know. And just like, that was huge. But I think the biggest thing was just reading everyone's story, whether good, bad, or indifferent regarding their, their, their journey mm -hmm. and, and understanding one, how big of an, like how big of a medical condition this is and yeah. two, how many people it does affect. You know, like that yeah. was one of that was one of the biggest things, right? And then seeing that, I'm like, all right, there's you know, you have that. And then on top of that, then now, you know, I'm African American. So then I look at it from all right, well, here's another thing where I don't I'm not sure if we're represented properly, or is it just the fact that we don't, mm -hmm. you know, as African American talk about it at all either. Right. And it was one of those things where I'm like to just, you know, go through with that portion of it where it's and especially in the african-american community um manhood per se is, is a huge thing there's there it's such mm -hmm. a it's such a prideful thing um and to you know looking for that type of validation or understanding like there's others you know in my essentially community that's going through this as well and that was tough to find i mean i still don't even know if i know too many um, in the African American community as a whole, that have even talked about it. Like I'm sure there's a lot of them out there, mm -hmm. and whatnot. But just even talking about it anonymously or not, and there's a few that I follow on Instagram with my podcast and everything, and I'm grateful for those. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, man, like there's 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 so many layers to this, right? And then as you were talking about, you know, finding a therapist, and that was one of my biggest things, like. I went into it where I was like, all right, well, my first thing is I want to find a male therapist. Like that's my, mm -hmm. I was like, I want to find a male therapist. Like, it's just, I feel like talking about this with, if I'm going to talk, if I'm going to go to therapy about this, I want to talk to someone that can kind of understand, you know, and, and, and feel and, and validate, I guess, my feelings towards this and get where I'm coming from you yeah. know, as a man. And then the second one was finding a black male therapist. Um, Man, are those two things hard to find? One is yeah. hard to find a male therapist, right? And then now I just shrunk shrunk the pool even more, looking for a black male therapist. Um, so that was that was really tough. Um, and I lucked out when I found my therapist with it, and talking with him throughout this entire process has, has been amazing. And I don't think I get to where we are now, um, especially me and my wife. And we'll talk about that later. Yeah, if I don't go if I don't find the therapist that I find and when I found him. So what were some of the reasons like 
that's it's a hard decision to make for men to be able to say like i need to go find a therapy you know like so when you were thinking about like where you're at in your journey like what were some of like your reasons why you felt like that was a good you know a good choice i mean it is a good choice but i'm just saying why what were some of the reasons why you chose that so at that point um when i finally did go seeking out a therapist um this is january of 2020 okay i'm diagnosed with azuspermia november of 2018 january 2019 i meet with the reproductive um urologist he talk he talks about essentially what our um options are and everything mm-hmm. from there and i'm like all right well we'll discuss and we'll call you back type of thing and go from there and at that point it was out of sight out of mind 2019 was completely out of sight out of mind regarding anything regarding children or mm-hmm. anything so then May, uh, January 2020 comes around and I made a commitment that I was going to say 2020 was health is wealth is my health is wealthy. Okay. Um, you know, I was following up like with doctors regarding uh, my, my feet issues, uh, thinking about meeting up with um, my doctor and surgeons for bariatric surgery to lose weight. Okay. Um, got, uh, went and got my eyeglasses taken care of and, you know, anything and everything. And I was like, well, you got to do the mental part. Now. I was like, there's, there's a lot of stuff that you probably need to get and mm-hmm. go through. You know what I mean? Just in general, uh, you know, at yeah. this point, I'm, I was, I was always an advocate for people to, uh, to go to therapy and I've yet to be at that point. Right. So I'm like, well, yeah. if you're going to talk the talk, you probably should want to walk the walk as well. And I was like, what, 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 why not now? What better time to start than now? Um, so I started therapy probably towards the end of January. Um, and we went for like seven weeks straight, seven weeks straight, um, of a therapy session right up all the way into March. And there was so much going on, um, that I just needed to get out. Uh, cause back in November of 2020, November of 2019, my grandmother got diagnosed with cancer. And that's who raised me. So, you know, that's yeah. my other figure. So she, you know, she got diagnosed with cancer. I'm down in North Carolina. She's back in New Jersey. I'm feeling guilty because I'm not up there with her. You know, she's she's about to start chemotherapy. I'm yeah. not up there with her. You know, feeling all these types of different um, reactions and, and and different feelings regarding everything that's happening. And I was just like, you, you, you got to go. Um, and for those six weeks, I mean we touched on a lot of things. We, 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 we unpacked a lot of things that I was holding in, carrying on. And I just remember session after session, leaving there in tears, but both happy and sad, just getting things out there and getting things off of my chest and no longer carrying this burden anymore. But also at the same time, you know, having to basically relive some of the, you know, things that I've gone through throughout life and everything. So It was it it was such a it was such an experience and such a and such a just just such an experience and I'm I'm grateful for it. Yeah, I mean going through therapy and having to discuss things in your past that you thought were gone, you know, like that were just forgotten about, you know, like that's really tough work. Right. You know. And being in like in the mental health field since 2009 i mean not providing therapy but doing case management and having that experience but you know there was a a great book called the body keeps the score and it was by a psych neuropsych 
think it was Bessel van der Kolk is what his name is. Um, but the, the body keeps the score. It was all about the, like the neuroscience of trauma. Hmm. And the way I always kind of describe about how trauma really stays in your body is if you think about back in the day when we had like nine, Windows 98 and 99 and all that stuff, right? When you would delete something off your computer, they would go in that recycle bin, right? So yeah. if you deleted that, you know, like if you, if you think about like all those deletions as your trauma, right? Or your experiences of your childhood and stuff, and you just put them in, the, all you're doing is putting them in the recycle bin. And then right. every once in a while, something pop up and be like, oh, here it comes right back out onto the main screen, you know, and then we're going to put it right back in the recycle bin. So, but therapy is really where you make that impact of emptying the recycle bin, you know, yeah. where so it's to me, it's not going to completely delete your memory, but this is kind of a visual, like I've always used, you know, for, and, you know, if you think about this too, like, you have your full-time job, right? Like you're, you're going to work, then you have your stuff with the grandma and yet here's still infertility, <laughs> you know, like it, it's, you, it, it doesn't go away, you know, like, and I think there's this idea that it's like, oh, it's a, it's a singular thing, you know, like, and, but no life happens all around it, you know, like, and it's impacted. So definitely. And I wa wanted to ask this question, and I didn't want it to come out of saying, like, minimizing anybody's experience, you know, like with diagnoses and stuff. Um, did you find that it was harder for you to accept, like, your diagnosis of azospermia compared to your wife, since she kind of already had that idea that I'm going into a relationship, you know, I have PCOS, I, I know that this is going to be an issue and we might need some, you know, assistance, but did you feel like accepting it took you a lot longer than your wife, maybe? To an extent. Yeah. Um, it's, it's strange. So I would say because in the beginning, I never wanted to talk about or discuss mm. it at all. Whenever my wife would want to talk about it or, you know, bring it up, um, she, I would kind of try to finagle out of it, lash out, out of sight, out of mind with it. Um, but once I confronted it, it was a lot easier for me to accept it and move on than my wife. Mm -hmm. So, I, So she didn't fully accept the fact that there's a, very likely chance that I'm not going to be able to have children biologically until I think the day of my surgery for the micro okay. Um I went into that micro at this point. This is last year, September of 2021. So at this point, I'm now almost three years with this diagnosis. You know, I have done the work through therapy um, and whatnot and everything and going into going into the micro testing i just told myself i said the results are the results control what you can control you can't control your dna you can't control your genetic makeup the only thing you can control is how you respond to whatever diagnosis whatever happens from the surgery and going and moving forward from that and i'll never forget waking up from the micro surgery 
and my wife is right there and I'm looking at, and I wake up groggy and I look at her and I can just see on her face. I said, they didn't find any sperm, did they? And she goes, no. And for her to say that and for her to say that took a lot from her, but I can just see, like, I can just see it. Like I've been with my wife now going on almost 15 years. So I know when, you know, something's wrong. So I could just see when I woke up that they didn't find any sperm. And then the doctor came in and he, and he repeated it. And she, that's when she started crying. And she was like, because I had to hear it a second time. Cause she was like, when, you know, they came out of surgery, they told me that they didn't find anything. And then I had to be there when he told you that they didn't find anything. And, um, I think she was really holding out on hope that they would find yeah. something. And I had already set my expectations to not be disappointed. You know, whatever yeah. comes, you know, you, you temper your expectations, especially in, in yeah. especially, especially in this, you have to set up, you have to set expectation realistically so, so much. Yeah. Um, you know, they say that uh, one of the things I saw was just like, Hope is just like a, it's just like a throbbing pain over and over and over because you like you build up the hope so much for something and then at at some point it's just like you don't even have enough to even give yourself hope anymore. So you have to temper expectations yeah. so 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 much and with this journey and process. And I think by this point I had gotten to the point of accepting it, understanding it, knowing that the odds weren't on my side of me mm-hmm. finding something at this point. Yeah. Because at this point, I had lost over 150 pounds. You know, I made the lifestyle changes. You know, I've done so, so, so much. And even before the microtestic surgery, like we did two or three more semen analysis, nothing. So I was like, I'm like, nothing's changed. So I'm not, you know, going to get my hopes up of yeah. that from this surgery that, you know, sperm is just living in the testes. Um, but I think at my, at that, I think that's when my wife truly finally, I think, fully got it that yeah he just isn't gonna be able to have biological kids and i think that that hurt her more than it hurt me especially at that time mm-hmm. and especially because i don't think she had ever grieved the fact that our children weren't gonna have my genetic makeup you know you you think you know when you're you know planning kids and talking about you know I'm, you're gonna be the father of my kids you're gonna be the mother of my kids you know you start visualizing certain quirks and certain things that right. they're gonna get from the parent, you know, from their from their father or from their mother. So, you know, she had to now grieve that was never going to be a possibility at this point. And I think that was something that was really tough for her um, to do, where she, that's when she started to go to therapy as well. Yeah, and I think people think that grief is just, you know, they have one view of what grief is, you know, like, and it's somebody you know, that is of old age, it dies of natural causes, you have the funeral and all that stuff, and people don't realize that there's invisible grief. You know, like you grieve the life you thought that was gonna happen, and it's not. You know, yeah. like, and it's tough to have to be able to process that and accept this is where I'm at, and like moving forward. So, so after the surgery, finding that out, what did you guys do to move forward? So, um, right after the surgery, I just remember I went home. I picked up my medicine because um, it's not a fun surgery, but no, I imagine not, not at all. Um, and I laid on the couch. I literally laid on the couch for the next like essentially two days. Um, and we talked about it, and I was just like, "So she's like, well, where would you go from here?" And I was like, 
honestly, I was like, at this point, I was like, I can't give an answer. I was like, I don't think we need to make an answer right now where we go from here. I mean, mm-hmm. we have to, we have to grieve this. We have to confront it. And then we can talk about steps moving forward from that point. Um, so we did that. You know, we just enjoyed ourselves uh, for the most part. We, um, you know, so September, October, November, December, we traveled a lot. We went to Paris, um, you know, as our our annual uh, anniversary. Yeah. We did our annual anniversary trip. Um, you know, we went down to the beach and Myrtle Beach and spent some time there and just really enjoyed each other's company as much as we could. And then right before the new year, essentially, that's when we sat down and we discussed, you know, what what are we going to do at this point? And, um, you know, we talked about it and that's when we decided to move forward with um, going with donor sperm and because we both wanted to be parents and mm-hmm. I didn't want to deprive her from not being able to carry a child. Yeah, and we talked about adoption and we talked about all that. But I knew since day one, one she always wanted to have children, but she always also wanted to experience pregnancy. Yeah, and by this point, I was very okay with us using donor sperm. Um, we talked about it, and we it was more so of I was able to basically pick a short list. So the mm-hmm. the, the, the thing was, I go through the through the different sperm banks i look at the different profiles i choose essentially three to five donors and then we'll sit down and we'll discuss and then we'll choose and then we'll choose the don the actual donor together mm-hmm. and i think that gave that was something that was great because it gave me a sense of ownership and 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 deciding on you know who was going to be our sperm donor? Um, yeah, going through that, you know what I mean. So it it gave me a sense of ownership and allowing me to take ownership of the process um, with it. And there was, um, and yeah, it was that. And then I think it was was it January or December that we purchased? I think it was January that we winded up purchasing. Yeah, it was January that we winded up purchasing the sperm, um, the donor, the donor sperm. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily for her, for us, we only had to do two um, rounds of IUI okay. um, for her to get pregnant. So it was the second round, which was in March of 2022. And uh, that's when she conceived. So it was, um, it was a long time to get to that point, um, but it yeah. was a short time in terms of the actual, you know, process of trying to conceive with donor sperm, which, um, which I'm grateful for yeah. because with this journey, as anyone knows, no matter where you, where, no matter who has the infertility, or no matter what type of uh, process you're going to do, it's a long journey. It is. It's such a long journey, no matter what. Um, so it was. I was grateful that this part wasn't as long, because um, I don't think I would have been able to see, you know, round and round failing, you know, yeah. of her trying to conceive or anything like that. Because that just, I can only imagine that just probably adds so much more emotional turmoil and yeah another and just another thing to combat already like we already have this of where i can't i couldn't i couldn't you know i had nothing yeah and if you're going down this path and then you know she couldn't you know concede like she couldn't even get pregnant it's just like man when can we get a break so i was very very glad that we were able to conceive rather quickly um going through the uh procedures that we went through yeah congratulations on that and 
it's honestly the exact reason why I have the name for my podcast because it's not a sprint. It's it's literally a miles long journey, you know. And like you said, for some it's it's longer, for some it's shorter. But you know, the emotional toll, regardless of how long it is, it's still there. Yeah, it's it it never goes away. Um, no. it never goes away, and it's crazy too because I'll never forget when we got when I first got the diagnosis. Um, you know, we had talked about we were wanted to adopt anyway or whatever, mm-hmm. and then the doctors and uh, and our fertility specialist was like, "You also have donor options," and like immediately I was like, "Absolutely not!" Like right away when they when they first throw that out there, I'm like, "Absolutely not!" There's no chance. Mm-hmm. And they were just and they they were like they expected that just because that's a natural reaction. Yeah, <laughs> it's very, like, it's very yeah. easy, and you know, it's very easy to say, "Yeah, you know, I'm up for adoption and I'm all for this." You know, if we can't. If we can't get pregnant and everything, but that's like hypotheticals until you know. And then when you're told that, hey, you have no sperm, so like your only chances or your only choices are this, you're like, wait, what? Like it's way, it's like you get tested. And I remember like we, and she had looked at me when I said that. And like after she was like, I thought we had all, I was like, yeah, that's, that was before we had this much more information. Like we got yeah. to go through, you know, it is, it's a lot to take. Um, And that was one of the big things too. Is I remember talking to one of my best friends about it, and he made a good point. Um, at the same time, I was like, probably too soon to talk about it like that, but he was essentially yeah. like, So you guys are okay adopting? I was like, I'm 100% okay with adopting. 100 is so he's like, You're perfectly fine with a child that neither one of you have any biological connection to. I'm like, Yep. And he's like, But you have an issue with it only being her connection. And like the light bulb went off in my head about where he was going with that, and I understood it. Yeah. Now I was yeah. like, listen, I'm not saying what I'm saying is logical at all. Like, I get what you're saying 100% logically. I said, emotionally, I don't think I could do that. Yeah. Was, you know what I mean? And I'm, and it was such a weird thing for him, to, for me to say that, he said, because I've always been one of those where, you know, the facts are the facts. You got to take emotion out of facts. Like, logic trumps emotions. Mm-hmm. And except for your own. And it's the weirdest thing. When emotions, and now I get it. Um, yeah. You can never talk if someone's emotional about something or if emotions are involved about something, it doesn't matter how many facts, how much logic is presented to it. Right. The emotion, the emotional attachment and the emotional variables are going to supersede those logical um, variables every time just because yeah. of how humans are wired. Um, so it's actually quite fascinating to see that because I've always looked at myself as such an, a logical and non-emotional you know, well, these are the facts, you know, yeah. these are the, this is the logic. And he was like, yeah, for me to see that out of you was a good thing because it showed me that you weren't like a robot. Um, yeah. But that, you know, it's just, it's just naturally how it is. Yeah. Especially when you're in that kind of heightened state, it's, it's your, your old part of your brain takes over, you know, like it's, it just becomes emotion, you know, like, and, and there's no, there's nothing in that whole thinking and planning of the part of your brain that's all shut off. You know, like it's really everything is based off emotion. And, and like, and you're right, like everything that you can say is not going to matter. Like it's literally not, it's going to go one ear out the other. And I think as men, we can learn <laughs> how to like when, you know, recognizing if, you know, our significant others or wives, girlfriends, whatever, they're upset, knowing when to not say something and they just, and you just need to listen, right. you know, like, and I think that takes practice, <laughs> you know, like 
as a social worker, I have a lot of practice in that, but just recognizing that, you know, like, like there's some things that are just tough and like, no matter what you say, it's, it's not going to solve anything, you oh. know, and just being able to just provide validation is sometimes good enough, you know? Yep. And the hundred percent. Yeah. So I know I listened to like one of your episodes and, and you, you know, talked about it earlier about, you know, your grandma raising you. Right. Mm-hmm. You said that, you know, like that you didn't know like your biological father and all that. Right. Yep. Not knowing about it. Like how did that play into your decision-making for using a donor sperm? Thing? So when I first got diagnosed with um, infertility, especially not uh, with azuspermia with no sperm, I think that was part of the main reason why I was so upset about it. So, you know, my whole life growing up that I don't know who my father is. I could be walking down the street and literally passing this guy and have no idea that he's my father or that, you know, zero at all. And essentially I just got robbed of that is how it felt like that. You know, I could never, I now that could technically be, not technically be me, but now my child can have that essentially. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no matter what, even if we go down this route, like, they, have, they there's a possibility that they are never going to know their biological, um, their biological child, and well, their biological parent, and yeah, it's just, it was just hard. It was like I felt so much stripped from me to not be able to have that biological connection that I'm going to have, that I, I would be able to have that biological connection with someone, you know, as a parent and, yeah. you know, my genetic, my genetic makeup and just how, you know, getting maybe my lazy eye, you know, a widow's peak from me, or, you know, I do a little like thing in my sleep with my nose, just like no matter what it was, you know, just things that you get biologically, you know, that you can see like, like, you know, you get, you get from your genetic makeup and to now possibly that basically get quote unquote passed down to my child, they're going to be robbed of that as well. Just felt really just heart wrenching. It just felt so heart wrenching. Um, and I think that was why I was such against um, the use of donor sperm in the beginning. And then through, you know, after reading more and more about it, you know, going to therapy, talking about it and understanding everything and realizing that, while yes, genetics are important and while genetics, you know, matter, it's not the end all be all. And I had a discussion with my grandfather as well regarding it because it was kind of a similar thing with him. So my mother's, so my grandfather isn't my biological grandfather either. He, you know, he raised me with my grandmother, but he's not my mother's biological father. My mother my grandmother was married first before she met who I call my grandfather. Okay. I had my mother with him and then my grandfather just raised her. So she's known him as her father and everything, but biologically she knows it's not, that's not her father either. So I talked to him about that, about, you know, building that connection, building that mm-hmm. and whatnot and realized that, you know, it's, it's, it's there, you know, being there. Cause again, anyone that knows me knows that's my grandfather and, you know, we're related and everything. And, I love like there's nothing lost there. So just speaking with him about how he did it. And he basically just told me essentially was like, you can't make, you can't, no matter what, you're never going to be that biological parent. That's fine. 
but everything else they get from you they get to you know learn to be their own person from you they grow up looking at you as as that as that father figure and that parent you know that that your personality is going to go on to them so however you however you are with them that's what they're going to grab and gravitate towards as well mm. so he said you got to just focus on on those things that you again can control and not on the things that you can't control. Um, and that was one of the biggest things I think um, was speaking with my grandfather about that um, and getting his perspective, you know, about how he was able to do yeah. it and, and not feel terrible with it. So what was it like trying to pick out a donor? So I liken it to, um, kind of like supermarkets, like online <laughs> shopping. Um, yeah, it's 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 so strange. It was so strange. We, you know, they give us the clinics that they work with. So you basically get to go on there, and you're like, all right, they give you. You can go eye color, you can go height, you can go ethnicity, you can go race, you know, you can go. Um, then like, there's so many filters, there's so many different filters, right? So our thing was I'm African-American my wife is, is white. So we did want to go with an African-American donor. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I do, right? I click African-American yeah. donor. Maybe like, I don't think any site had more than 12, like donors, like African-American donors. Right. So I'm like, all right. So then I'm looking at, you know, body types and height. I'm six foot three. So I'm, I'm, I'm a rather tall individual. So mm -hmm. I just go, I was like, let me, I was like, well, I don't want someone short. So I was like, let me go five ten or higher. Right. So five ten and higher in African-American that 12 dropped to like two to five per site. It was actually like, again, we're already working with slim pickings. Um, yeah. so now you're, you know, you're working with slim pickings and then you now even made the criteria even more stringent. Um, so we go through that and then, you know, I'm reading through everybody's profile, you know, I'm looking at, you know, what, um, I'm looking at pictures, I'm looking at, I'm reading, you know, their, their biography, their family medical history, you know, things like that. Um, to, you know, then narrow it down to that point. So then I think we get down to like, I get down to like three or four and the first two I pick only have sperm for IVF. So boom, they're likely out at this point because we're going with IUI to begin with. So now <laughs> it's down to two. Right. So now it's down to two. So I look at the two that we have. Right. It's just like, all right, I'm looking at the two that we have. And I'm like, all right, well, what about this one? Right. So the, first, the one that we chose, the one that we go to look to choose, we call, they're out. <laughs> and they don't know when he's going to donate again. Or whatever. So I'm like, great. So then we go to our last choice quote unquote and luckily they had a solid amount of vials i think they had like 25 vials he was still actively donating i think um and we wound up going with him and it was just like man like this felt so wrong but so right at the same time because it's just like you're like choosing you're like building a baby essentially mm -hmm. you know? like you're building half a baby essentially it's like build a baby and we um so we wind up going with that and then knowing that, you know, IUIs probably takes at least one to two rounds. And we have always talked about having multiples. So we're like, well, 
let's you know get a couple of vials. So we wound up buying five vials. Luckily, after the, the two vials it took, so we have three on storage right now. Okay. Um, and it's just one of those things where it's just like, man, like it's so crazy to see like it's so non like I guess emotional. Like it's literally just like so like boom, 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 boom. Like you just pick. All right, yeah. this is what you want. This is what you want. This is what you want. Check out. <laughs> like there was a checkout button. Like you know, <laughs> checkout button. And then all right, shipping cost. And it's just like, oh my god. Like this is how commercialized or how yeah. chaotic that this thing has 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 gotten to be here and whatnot. And um, it was yeah. So that's how we winded up uh, going through and choosing our donor. And um. And now we're now we're here. So. Yeah, and I like and I wanted to touch upon that too because it. I knew that there was that there was a I wouldn't say a short. I mean, to me, I think everything you know. Every, if you can't find something that's shortage, you know. I mean, that's with everything <laughs> in today's world. Right. But I, I knew that there was not a lot of options and stuff for even for donor egg or donor sperm or donor embryos for the black community. Yeah, and I, it's it's hard, you know, and I don't think right. people understand that it really is, like you said, slim pickings, you know, like, and you don't have a lot of options and stuff compared to white people, right? Where they can try to at least get somewhat remotely close to what the father would look like, you know, and totally. that's and really, I mean, that's what my thinking is: is just like, okay, most men probably would want some baby like to look very similar, so you find like those features and stuff, but. It really, like, it really is. I mean, there's such, you know, you know, and I think there's a lack of education in general about fertility awareness, you know, but then there's also, you know, the stigma and stuff of it. Yeah. And then remember, we just came out of a pandemic. So there's not yeah. even that many active donors to begin with, you know, right. like they took a, they took a hit in terms of how many donors they can get properly, you know, True. coming through. Right. And, and donating to begin with, you know, because of the pandemic. And then I believe when my donor donated, he was in college or the, he was in college, he was college age, but he was in the military okay, and whatnot. So, you know, a lot of them stopped after a while. Cause like, you know, like, they're like, well, I don't want to do that anymore. Like, you know, they were, I don't want to say they were doing it for money, but you know, that's financial is also, it's always part of the reason that it's a perk. Donate. Right. It's a perk. <laughs> it's, right. It's, you know, it's like the cherry on top and whatnot. Yeah. And it's just one of those things of, man, like, I really don't have many options. So, like, this is, like, the best that I can get. Or, like, it's like you take what, it's like you take what you can get. Like, you know, yeah. you really have to take what you can get. And um, that's another thing as when I, with my podcast, what I've always talked is, you know, especially the biggest thing is for me is to open this towards the black community, especially. Um, yeah. That's why I came, that's why I became public with mine when I made, when I became public and not just anonymous with it and you know people in that i know in real life know what i'm going through and know the story because i don't want the stigma attached there's already a stigma from men in general yeah regarding regarding you know fertility infertility it's and especially with donor and uh with donor sperm and whatnot and the black community it's 10 times worse like, yeah. like without a shadow of a doubt it's 10 times worse it's 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 10 times more more toxic masculinity behind it and everything and i just want more people to be open with it and and be and be willing to share their story if if they want just because it can truly help someone else 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's exactly the, the reason why we do our podcast, right? Is just to share those stories of, of other men, so they realize like they're not alone. And the podcast is such a great way that you can just listen to your own time. You can put your headphones in. You know, people don't even know you need to know you're even listening to it. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's hundred percent. Really. I mean, it's about like I mean you can listen to it in commute. You know, like I mean I podcast all the time when I go on my work. It's really just providing that awareness and it's also providing the awareness that infertility is not just a woman's issue because I think that's another huge thing is like us not talking about it. It also puts more of that stigma, that more narrative, right, of the, it's a woman's issue. Right. It really is not all of their entire issue, you know? So most definitely. Um, that was one of my big things too, is like, we talk so much, especially in our community about the infertility community, about how it's not a woman's issue and how it's a man and women's thing combined. And it's like we said, 40 to 45% is male factor involved. And then everything is still even like, um, even from like, whether it's through like clinics, whether it's through awareness from like providers, whether it's from, you know, nonprofit organizations and, and, and things like that, mm-hmm. they still, they still gear it towards the, the woman and it still comes off. And I'm like, we have to change this. Like we in the community have to change this narrative. We want the community outside of us to understand that it's not just the woman's thing. Cause I think even right. our, our own community, sometimes that we like to try to pigeonhole it towards down the woman's down towards the woman's like I remember mm-hmm. when I, got on, I got on a Facebook group and it was like dealing with azuspermia 90% of the people on like 95% of the people on there were women even right. discussing about their husband's issue you know or you know that or their husband's diagnosis regarding it and you know yeah. going and and taking the initiative and and being the ones to talk about it and and everything and it's just like us as men, we have to do better. Like we have to, we have to lead these conversations, especially yeah. with something like this. Because if you go into a group like that and you see a bunch of women talking about it, as a man, you're likely it's just, let's be realistic. You're likely not going to feel like you're going to be heard or validated mm-hmm. or you're, and talk about what's going on with you. Right. And that doesn't help, you know, for the next person down the line who goes looking. And look, and then they open up that same group, and they just see, oh, this is another woman's group. See, there's nothing for us guys. Yep. We're just gonna compartmentalize it. There's no need for me to be here. Like that just doesn't help, and it just you know snowballs away, and we're back at square one. Right. And that was um, and that's 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 my main thing is like we gotta, if we want that narrative to change of it not being a woman's thing, us in the community, especially the men, have to take that initiative and start talking about it and start building these groups and start you know creating a community for us to talk about it i think yeah because i think we're like we're seen as a silent partner like or i mean from a medical perspective but i also see like a lot of times we're seen as well we have the easy part right we do like we in some essence do you know like i mean microtease is no joke but you know you know no kickbox either but you know it, we've, we're doing that we have the easy part but it, like you're not even like acknowledging the emotional toll like of us you know like like if, if when we're diagnosed with infertility like it takes an emotional toll on us right. we may not be as vocal about it but it, it does right 
and even for men that don't have infertility, but their wives do, right? It's seen the distress of your wife. I mean, that's traumatic in itself and trying to manage that and emotions and stuff. I mean, like there's so much to it. Yeah, I agree. Like we like we need to be talking more about infertility in general, you know, and sharing the experiences and stuff so people are aware that this is this is an issue. It's a couple's issue, not me versus you issue. Right. Yeah. You know? So we're coming up on time and the last question I have and they ask everyone this is what is something that you would want every man to know about going through infertility? Um, there's probably about three things that I think I would say I'll give are you three. the most important things uh, for a man going through infertility. Um, the first one is you're not any less of a man because of this battle that you now are facing. We are more than just our sperm. It doesn't make us any more or less a, of, a, of, a, of a man if you have millions of sperm or we have zero sperm. We are much more than that. We have much more to offer than just our sperm. That's the first thing that I want any any man that gets this diagnosis to know that. You're worth way more than that. Number two is regardless of the path that you're going to take, don't feel rushed to make a decision. Um, there's, you know, you have essentially you come up with three choices you can make. You can go child free. You can go donor embryo, donor sperm, or adoption, essentially. Um, give yourself grace, compassion, and time to truly come to a decision that you're going to accept and be okay with the entire time. And there's no right or wrong decision that you can make individually for this. Each couple has to make that decision themselves, no matter what. But it's a personal decision that you have to make, and it's you and your spouse's or your partner's decision to make. And again, there's no right or wrong to do that. And then number three is find someone to confide in, whether it's an online community, a therapist, a close circle of family or friends, you're going to need it. Giving, there's no way anyone I think has ever gotten through this journey and a diagnosis of infertility by themselves. Um, It's a traumatic event to be told that you have infertility. Um, and just like any other tra- traumatic event, you're going to want to be around people that you trust, love, and can confide in. Um, it, it's no different. So those would be the three, those would be the things that I would want to tell anyone um, going through infertility, especially as men. Yeah. And one thing that I learned from one of the psychologists in the mental health practice through ASRM, Dr. Julie Benjamin, really infertility is the the first time a couple's ever had to navigate a crisis. Yeah. And that really, I'd be like, I kind of knew that, but it was just like when she threw, put it out there on Twitter, I'm like, that makes sense. (laughs) You know, like it really is, you know, like it really is the first like major crisis, you know, like of a couple. So, well, Paul, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience. It was definitely very insightful and just, Good stuff. I mean, it's I enjoyed the conversation with you. Thanks for having me. No, I really appreciate it. Had a great time discussing this. Um, as yeah. always, any questions anyone ever asks, I'm willing to answer and and talk open and honestly about about my journey. Um, I can't talk about anyone yeah. else's but my own um, and how I feel and what I've gone through. So, you know, I'm I'm willing to be an open 
an open book for people to to navigate this as um as we as we navigate it ourselves. Yeah, and I'll make sure that I post his social media platforms as well as links to his podcast as well. So you guys can head on over there and take a listen to his stuff. It's he's got some really good content on there. So thanks again. Appreciate it. Have a good time. Right. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to the Miles Podcast. Miles Podcast is on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and Overcast. If you could like, rate, subscribe, and share the podcast to help other men or other couples find it, it'd be greatly appreciated. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter for updates on future episodes and more content related to infertility and family building. I also just started a Facebook page for the podcast, so you can search for it on there. As always, if you'd like to be a guest, please message me on my social media or email at themilespodcast at gmail.com. And I hope that you will continue this milestone journey with me.